Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored in part by TBR, Book Riot subscription service and perfect gift for Mother's Day. Have a mom or motherly figure in your life who loves books? Give them the gift of tailored book recommendations for Mother's Day, which is coming soon. When you do, your mom can tell TBR about their reading likes and dislikes and what they're looking for and sit back while their bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for them. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email. Gifts start at only $16, so there's a gift option for every budget. TBR subscribers are matched to bibliologists based on their requests, so if mom loves thrillers, wants to read more romance, is looking for poetry by writers of color, or maybe some space opera, we've got someone who knows just what to recommend, so you don't have to guess. Our bibliologist can also check your mom's Goodreads account if she has one, saving you from gifting a book that's already been read. Plus, gifts can be scheduled, so you won't miss Mother's Day. Go to mytbr.co to give your mom the gift of tailored book recommendations. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 102, and we're recording on April 30th. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today, we are bringing you One Sitting Reads, my favorite kind of reads. <laughs> I love them. I love a novella. I love a short story. I love really fast-paced page turners, which all count. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was like, what do we consider a one sitting read? And I'm actually cheating a little bit when it comes to my picks for this. <laughs> but I do think it, you know, it can be anything from like, right, like you said, a short story or novella that is very easy to read in one sitting or a book that just sucks you in so much that you yeah. discover you finished it before you even realized. So it's a fun one. So many options. I yes. can't wait to talk about our picks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Before we do that, let's hear from one of our sponsors. And this one is for all of the aspiring librarians out there. It's Emporia State University's School of Library and Information Management. The Master's of Library Science program at Emporia State University is an ALA-accredited program that offers you the flexibility of online classes while also giving you a community of peers to build your professional network. Through a combination of instruction, students are able to form deep connections to the coursework, professors, other students, and practicing professionals in libraries. ESU offers a quick and affordable way to earn your MLS, with most students completing their degree in two years, even while working a full-time job. To learn more, visit their website, 
www.emporia.edu slash slim. That's S-L-I-M. And this is a great option if you have been considering a career change, which I think a lot of people have over the course of the pandemic. We're taking stock of everything. And if you've been dreaming of a way to get your master's of library science and can't attend a university full time or there isn't one local to you, online courses are always a great option. So again, that is Emporia. State University's School of Library and Information Management. Find out more at emporia.edu. That's E-M-P-O-R-I-A dot E-D-U slash S-L-I-M. All right. Let's talk about some news. I am going to start with the thing I'm excited about because there are some things I'm not excited about, (laughs) but that we should talk about. But let's start with with a nice one. And that is that the Ignite Awards, which are run by FIA as part of their FIACon, have been announced and it is a great slate of shortlist finalists. I am so excited to mm-hmm. see Vagabonds by Hao Jing Fang, which was translated by Ken Liu, on the list for best novel. Also, though, it's like, it's such a good best novel list. We've got Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse, City We Became by N.K. Jemisin, Midnight Bargain by C.L. Polk, and The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. So it is a really packed slate for all of the categories, but that one is the one I've read the most of, so I'm the most familiar with the books in it. And I before we talk more about the nominees, I just want to shout out the fact that anybody can vote in these, like anyone. There's a form at the bottom of the link to the FIA site, and you can click it and you can vote for your favorite to win. So that's amazing. It's open through May 21st. And I have like been contemplating, I'm like, is it fair to vote in a category where I've only read one of the potential winner. <laughs> like is That's that fair? Question. I just don't know. I don't know. So I'm I'm sitting with my ethics questions about voting rights and like mm-hmm. how familiar I feel like I need to be in order to vote. But that might just be me. I don't know. What do you think about all this? I think it's amazing. I think it's great also that anybody can vote. I truly do not know what the answer is to the question <laughs> of how fair it is to I mean, if you love a book that much, I I would not judge anybody for voting mm-hmm. for their favorite um and especially if the author or the book really didn't get the recognition it deserved like this could also be an opportunity there were so many books that just didn't get a lot Mm. of recognition or didn't get attention because of you know the pandemic and everything else going on so this might be like your opportunity if you felt like somebody needed to uh shout out a title or an author to vote for that author um, and I am also saddened that I didn't see this sooner because I'm looking at this novelette category and like, oh, there were so many great books to choose from that I could have introduced myself to <laughs> for this specific theme. And also novella, there are so many really great mm-hmm. books. I read Empress of Salt and Fortune and have talked about it before. And Riot Baby is a book that is constantly on my mind. I really wanted to read Ring Shout. 
Um, but I didn't make it uh, to that book this year, but I love to see P. Jelly Clark mm-hmm. on this list as well. But again, just like an amazing, amazing list full of authors uh, we talk about a lot and really love. So I'm just really glad that this uh, award exists. And I want to preemptively congratulate the winners as well as all of these finalists. They all deserve uh, recognition. Yeah. I, I, when you mentioned the novelette category, I was feeling a little smug because I've read <laughs> The Transition of Osusi, which is on there and talked about it. Nice. Actually, on a previous episode, so I was like dusting off my shoulders. Also, there's a novelette from Cherie Renee Thomas on here, who I haven't yeah. read in far too long. So I'm definitely going to be finding that and inhaling it probably so as always a tbr exploding list (laughs) yeah yeah that is the it's dangerous and delightful Mm -hmm. what can you do (laughs) well i'm going to talk about something i found really interesting that i didn't know existed especially in the form it does so i don't know how many other people have recently been indulging in tiktok i know a lot of people like myself older millennials have been introduced to it recently uh with the pandemic especially when we were all bored and sitting around (laughs) at home and so i came across this article about tiktok and the young creators who are turning fan fiction into an art form. And this comes from ITK, and it's written by Kelsey Weekman. And this is kind of a cross-genre article that applies to lots of pop culture and lots of types of books. But because I know so many of our listeners are really into fan fiction, and we had an episode talking about fan fiction. I thought that this would be really interesting uh, to more than just myself because I have kind of banned myself from TikTok since <laughs> it can be all consuming. Uh, and I will look at TikTok just to see one thing, and three hours later, I'm still looking at TikTok. <laughs> and I feel like this fan fiction TikTok is going to be dangerous for me because it sounds super interesting. And it's this really, it's a long form sort of deep dive into the world of TikTok fan fiction culture and about the young creators who are making it happen, and also about how, you know, fan fiction is changing in terms of the conversations that are happening around fan fiction and how people aren't like dismissing it as much and are talking about how important it is for certain voices and for, you know, exploring your own identity and about how Wattpad is seeing this. I didn't realize this, but um, the fiction platform Wattpad is seeing like a 53% increase in new members. So I thought This whole thing was interesting, and there are a bunch of TikToks from the fan fiction community linked in this article, and you should take a look at them all. I'm endlessly impressed by people's creativity on TikTok and the way they transform, you know, either conversations around books and reading or just like general 
processing of the world and events through TikTok and the format of like these super brief videos. So it totally makes sense that fan fiction would become a thing on a place like TikTok where, you know, book talk is already growing and Mm. it's becoming really popular in a way. Bookstagram was blowing up in the early days on Instagram. Um, And I'm just like, I feel like a door has been opened onto a whole new world of TikTok that I really should not indulge in because (laughs) I have no self-control. But they talk about like, you know, Twilight fan fiction on there, Fifty Shades of Grey, of course, as a fan fiction of Twilight, and a bunch of other um, universes that are appearing on TikTok. What is it called? Fan talk? Fan fiction TikTok? (laughs) (laughs) Fan fiction. TikTok? TikTok? (laughs) (laughs) But it's a really long, really great everything about it. I was just like completely fascinated and blown away by this whole piece and hearing from these creators about why fan fiction speaks to them and why TikTok is a great platform for fan fiction. So I don't know. Do you are you indulging in some TikTok recently? So this is where I seriously date myself. So I I am like staring down the barrel of 40 in the next year and a half. And so I am and also also quick cut video is the least friendly for my brain way for me to consume media. So for those two reasons, I do not have the app. I I and I have seen TikToks because they're on Instagram, they're on Tumblr, they're on Twitter, like they they make their way to the social me- media platforms that I am on, but mm-hmm. it has been very clear to me since the beginning that like the inherent format of TikTok is not great for my the way I process information. Like those those super quick cuts and I know that not all TikToks are like this cuz I I've seen enough to see the variety, but most of them seem to hinge on these quick cuts and I just my brain is just like like it just jolts me every time there's a cut and so yeah it's not comfortable (laughs) for any (laughs) length of time for any length of time so this was interesting to me because it like I said it's not a platform that I'm interacting with much certainly not to the level where I would have found any of this so it's fascinating it's absolutely fascinating I think it's a completely legit social media art form and I'm super impressed by people who do it well I just am not it's not for me in various ways which is fine like not everything has to be for me uh what I I will say though that this article I like I had a couple qualms about some of the framing like and I know Mm -hmm. that this is I don't think this is exactly what the author meant but it seems to imply that TikTok is responsible for making fan fiction cool, which I would argue is incorrect. Oh, yeah, that is not the case. That's, that's not true. <laughs> I mean, it has probably made it cooler. Like, absolutely, it has made it cooler and brought it to people who would not have otherwise experienced it. So, like, yes to that, but not like it was uncool until TikTok found it. Like, that's just not true. Secondly, there's this bit at the end about earning money with fan fiction, which I'm not sure, again, if the author knows that this is like a whole 
complicated issue because yeah it's it's a royalties and intellectual property like quagmire i mean they're so it's so unclear where the value proposition and the legality of earning money off of fan fiction comes from. And to just be like, well, and money isn't the only reason you should write fan fiction. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't don't charge for your fan fiction. That's a great way to get sued like that. That you could get sued. Don't do that. So uh, so I had I had a couple quibbles with with some of the way that things were framed in the article. But it was, like I said, super interesting. Highly recommend deep dive in into this yeah for the most part yeah those are good points i i totally missed that but for sure it's uh i i also would not recommend anybody <laughs> i think we actually talked about this a little bit yeah. too when we were talking about fan fiction but yeah not recommended don't recommend don't don't get sued people <laughs> it's not do fun. recommend exploring fan fiction tiktok yes <laughs> <laughs> if you like tiktok <laughs> yeah yeah uh, okay, let's let's talk about the thing I'm mad about. Yeah, I hate that it. this is the update on this, but a while back we talked about this uh, Disney must pay situation, which mm-hmm. came to a lot of our attentions when Alan Dean Foster, who is a very popular, prolific, and much beloved author in the sci-fi fantasy world, revealed that he had been unable to get Disney to pay him royalties for like best-selling novelizations of Star Wars and Alien properties. And ultimately, he did, in fact, get paid, which is good. But it has become clear that he is not the only author having this issue. And in fact, it's like big enough now that there is a working group dedicated to identifying authors who are not being paid outstanding royalties and working with like calling on Disney to pay them. So the article that we're linking to on this one is on The Guardian, uh, written up by Allison Flood. And it is just, this is horrifying (laughs) to me, especially because, you know, companies that I know and enjoy books from are involved. Like, for example, a Buffy comic was written by one author. There's tons of Buffy comics. And the licensing was weird. Like, initially, Fox licensed the rights to Dark Horse, but then Disney bought Fox, and so the rights were taken away from Dark Horse and given to Boom Comics. And then Boom Comics told the writer that the royalties don't transfer, which is nonsense. (laughs) Like, if you're selling a book, you owe the creator royalties. That's just how contracts work. And if you have... You know, if a contract has been transferred to you, you are liable to fulfill the terms of that contract or to renegotiate them, but not just to ignore them. Like, you can't just pretend that that wasn't a thing. That's not how that's not how that works. So, yeah, it's horrifying to me that Boom Comics, who I have enjoyed many comics from, would say such a thing to an author. And I've actually I'm sad to say that I it recalled to me that I've heard that they're bad about paying creators already so this is really a bummer and i'm like i'm looking at you boom do better like just Mm -hmm. do better jeez so i'm very disgruntled about this update and i wish the task force all of the luck in the world in getting these people paid i hate that i hate that creators have to go through you know hoops these kinds of hoops and then public accusations and then nonsense statements from the corporations involved it's just a mess 
Yeah, it's incredibly frustrating because it does feel like, you know, these these companies know that they can get away with this stuff because they're so big. Yeah. And you really need to have like a huge backlash to mm. even get them to do the bare minimum sometimes. Yeah. And it's really not great that they're just doing this sort of piecemeal. It sounds like it's an exhausting process to get them to respond in any sort of way on an individual level and that they're not like addressing this as a thing that's affecting a lot of authors. Mm -hmm. And of course they wouldn't because they have their own self-interests in mind, but it's just like, it just reads as real greedy and yeah. real gross and you don't like to see it. Um, and I feel for all of the writers who, you know, put a lot of time and energy into these stories and probably had hopes about what they wish to see. And there are a lot of like big names here, but, yeah. you know, there are all sorts of authors who are associated with these properties who might not have a lot of the privileges that some of the bigger name authors have. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad to see SFWA um, supporting these writers. But, yeah, I agree. It really should not have to come down to this. Um, and people do need to do better. So, ugh, ugh. the worst. Yeah. Just gross. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a quick one that will hopefully pull us out of the doldrums <laughs> of Disney. Unfortunately, it's about a Disney Plus special, but <laughs> isn't <laughs> let's that the about way? That. <laughs> <laughs> so this comes from Entertainment uh, Weekly from Devin Coggan, who wrote this piece about uh, announcement, a sort of sneaky announcement about a Christmas special. It feels real weird to be talking about Christmas specials. I just, at the I just have to say, <laughs> Sharifa, I feel personally attacked by this piece because <laughs> it is not even for. First of all, it's uh, it's April. Let's it's yeah, April. Secondly, I mean it's May by the time you're listening to this. But my point stands. Secondly, this yes. is about something coming out in 2022. Like I you know. are a year and like three months way too early for this. <laughs> I was laughing and could not help myself because I felt weird about it and I need to spread that around because I'm like, I was just today, like, how is it just about to be May? Like, I know. How is this possible? And then I'm like, wait, Christmas special? What? Like, mm -hmm. where am I in time? Like, we're all disoriented already. So thanks a lot, James Gunn. Yeah. James Gunn shared this announcement, like, you know, a sort of, like, sneak peek. This is the wrapping. The present is inside is what he tweeted. And it's basically the, the tweet shows an image of the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, like, title page. And so there was more about this. Um, there is going to be a holiday special. It's going to be a standalone and, of course, we don't know too much about it. But, yes, it's going to be out in 2022. So, sorry to everybody. <laughs> but it is going to be on Disney+. Plus. It's funny, though. I I like that it's still going to be streaming. Because we don't know. Like, I, I wasn't sure if people would still be sticking to the streaming thing. A mm. holiday special actually makes a lot of sense for yeah. doing that. I don't know if it would have been... 
uh, great idea to try and make this into like an actual in theater sort of thing. Uh, but I I just like that we're getting a holiday special from Guardians of the Galaxy because it's such a I really love like comedic space mm. holiday specials and you know we've seen them a couple times a handful of times there was the the much um i don't know what to say i don't know what adjective to use for the star wars holiday special <laughs> oh, yeah uh infamous is the infamous is the that's perfect <laughs> And then so Guardians of the Galaxy feels like kind of a perfect callback to that sort of thing. And I'm sure it'll have that funky, nostalgic, like ridiculous, over the top feeling about Mm, it. mm -hmm. So I just think like amidst like some of the less pleasant news we get on the regular, this was kind of a fun one, even though it's frustrating in that it's about the holidays and about the holidays a year from now (laughs) you know though this conversation is reminding me that i never watched the lego star wars holiday special all right which i do need to do i will i will do that at some point this year well i'm gonna call it this year (laughs) because who knows when i will have remember again but uh, i will do that and report back because you're gonna blink your eyes and it's going to be the holidays it's just true i mean the way that this year is going yeah that's just true (laughs) ah well that brings us to the end of our i'm glad we ended it on a a good note but uh i'm gonna tell you about our next sponsor before we start talking about our one sitting reads super exciting and our sponsor is Backtrack Volume 2 by Brian Joins, and this comes to us from the Oni Lionforge Publishing Group. Ready your engines? This gut-wrenching race through time is down to the final contestants, and it's still anybody's game. With each leg, the stakes accelerate, from uh, pirate brawls to the colossal wars to being transported to the far future. The racers will have to move fast before their ancient history. But with their numbers seriously dwindled, hidden agendas bubble to the surface. Former criminal Wheelman Allison will have to cast all that aside and put the pedal to the metal if she wants to win the race and change her past. The conclusion to Brian Joins and Jake Elphick's backtrack is available now. So this is described as a high-octane thriller. Jen, you'll be interested in this comparison to fast and and the furious i was wondering if they were gonna i heard racing and i was like hmm fast and the furious meets the hunger games oh interesting yeah i that's that sounds really uh it does sound like a heart racer uh and it's also described as a unique exploration of history and it is, again, available now. Both the first and second volumes of Backtrack are in stores right now. So if you are looking for a fast-paced story, check out Backtrack Volume 2 by Brian Joins. Again, that's from the Oni Lionforge Publishing Group. All right. Let's talk about our picks. Um and it looks like I'm up first. So I'm going to talk about a story I've been meaning to read for so long. I mentioned this 
just a few episodes ago. I chose A Dead Gin in Cairo by P. Jelly Clark. And this comes in at 45 pages. And when I, I checked the audiobook, because that's what I chose to listen to, and I was kind of taken aback because I didn't realize it was that short. It's an hour and 45 minutes nice. if you're listening to the audiobook. Uh, so you can literally read oh. this in one evening on a weekday. And I thought it was a perfect length for, you know, undertaking a sort of time-consuming and mundane project. And in my case, that was drawing and cutting out a sewing pattern. I was like, this is sort of perfect for this very situation. And it was also just a great story that put me right into this 1912 Egypt where jinn and angels exist alongside humans. And I should say there's a, a warning for mention of suicide in this story. But I'd been talking about wanting to finally read this novelette because there is a full-length novel set in Clark's same historical fantasy universe we were talking about a little while ago, and that's A Master of Jinn, which is going to be out this May. So between that and this theme, A Dead Jinn in Cairo really just shot up my list, and I'm not sad about it because it was such a great introduction to... Fatma el-Shirawi and the magic and the mystery in this book and surrounding her. So as you might imagine, uh, with a story this short, you get right into the thick of things from the jump with Fatma, who's the youngest woman working for the Ministry of Alchemy at the scene of this crime involving, of course, a dead jinn. And then, so special investigator Fatma is also accompanied by her partner, who's really her polar opposite in that he's kind of crass. He lacks a certain level of self-control, and he's really old-fashioned. And meanwhile, Fatma is this fully modern person who bucks conventions. Uh, she's gender non-conforming and very self-possessed. She has this definite sense of style, which I truly loved, mm. and she's really charismatic, which is very helpful for someone whose profession relies on an ability to wheedle out information from people. And in this story, Fatma is looking for information that'll lead her to the cause of this jinn's death, which at first glance does appear to be death by suicide, but it speaks to this pattern of events that have been wreaking havoc. And so to figure out what's happening, Fatma and her partner take to the streets of Cairo, gathering information from angels who aren't what you might expect. They're facing obstacles in the form of ghouls, which are truly horrifying, and other types of characters. And Fatma even has a run-in with an assassin. So we've said this before, but P. Jelly Clark really has a way with fitting so much into shorter stories. And that is certainly true for a dead jinn in Cairo. Fatma and all of the characters she meets and interacts with feel fully realized. And the more I read P. Jelly Clark, the more I realize that this is just like, this is one of those art forms that he's really mastered. And you're right in, immersed in this place, this fantastical steampunk version of Cairo. 
I was just completely in it from the beginning to the end. And I really, maybe this is like based off of the cover <laughs> art for this story. I just really want like an anime series Ooh. following Fatima. Because it's just so picturesque. Everything is just like, I could picture that in my mind. And, you know, you also get the satisfaction of reading this short story, but you have this craving to dive right back in and follow her on another adventure. And it's great because I can do just that. So I'm thinking of reading maybe The Haunting of Tramcar 15 or 015. I don't know how you actually say that out loud. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that one doesn't include Fatma, but it is a steampunk Cairo novella. And then I, I think I'll probably dive right into A Master of Jinn, which does bring us back to Fatma. And I'm really glad I finally got started on these books after talking about how I was going to do that for so long. It does happen. I say I'm going to read a thing. <laughs> it does occasionally happen. So, again, I've been talking about A Dead Jinn in Cairo by P. Jelly Clark. Love them so much. I mean, obviously, I, I picked it to to fan cast. Although I will take, I will retract my request for a live action series in in favor of an anime because that would be so good. That would be so good. I would love and it then you so can do. Much. You don't have to worry about a special effects budget. You can draw whatever All the right. hell you want. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> there are so many like. Super strange elements. Mm -hmm. I feel like animation would capture those. Really yeah, well. yeah. Oh, I want that so bad. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I reread all of them and then read a Master right. of Jin a couple of months ago, and it's so good, y'all. It's just so good. I'm so excited for that to be out soon, so I can talk about specifics with everyone. But yes, yes. Cosine. <laughs> All right, let's see. So I briefly want to give a shout out to the one book that I read in one sitting last year, which I've talked about on the show before. So that's why this is yeah. only a shout out. But that goes to Space Between the Worlds by Micaiah Johnson, because that truly is the only book I read in one sitting in 2020. So good. So good. Uh, so my fantasy pick is also a little bit on the shorter side. It's Mating the Huntress by Talia Hibbert. And this is a shifter romance fantasy novella. It is like 135 pages on digital. So like not very many if it was in print. I don't actually know if there are any print copies. I read it on my, I read it from the library. Talia Hibbert writes romance and I have read her contemporary romances and enjoyed them. I had no idea that she did paranormal. I just like did not know that until a recent hmm. Get Booked question brought this to my attention. And this is, well, speaking of holidays that are not actually correct timing wise, this is actually <laughs> technically a Halloween story. <laughs> So I'm throwing some stones at my own glass house here, but <laughs> it's really delightful. I, I picked it up to read one night as I was getting ready for bed. I was like, I'll just read like a little bit. And like two hours later, I was like, oh, I finished it. Whoops. Like, that's not what I meant to do. And it's such a delight. The main character, Chastity Odofo, is a woman of color who's living, I'm pretty sure it's Britain. There's some like, it, it's never specified, but there's some terminology that makes me feel like it's somewhere in Great Britain. And she is part of this family that has a long tradition of werewolf hunting. 
But one of the things that's happened is that because of some deaths a generation back, they don't have their like full knowledge. And so they're they're kind of missing some details about what they're supposed to be doing, but they're doing their best. And then on top of that, when she was born, a witch made a prophecy that she could never become a werewolf hunter because her first kill would rip out her own heart. So she has been forbidden by her parents in her large, you know, she's got a big family. Everybody else is involved in werewolf hunting and she's not allowed. So, of course, she resents this. She's also like a baker at the family cafe, which is um, I love a baker in a novel like this. You know, they're they're always my favorite. So but she's just basically been waiting for the opportunity to prove herself to her family like prophecy be damned. And then one day this guy walks into the into the cafe and she can tell he's a werewolf, even though he's like, you know, looks like a human, walks like a human, talks like a human. Also is trying to flirt with her very awkwardly. And so she's like, (laughs) cool, cool. I'll like lure him and we'll get alone and then I'll kill him and then I'll be a werewolf hunter like I'm supposed to be. But that's not what happens. <laughs> Spoiler alert. He and Luke is such an amazing character. He is like doesn't understand why these werewolf hunters are all up in his business. He's like, I eat rabbits. Like, sure, there was like that one time years ago where I ate some criminals. But like, can't we just forget about that? Like, I'm not hurting anyone. Why are you trying to kill me? Also, I think Chastity is my mate. Like, I am super drawn to her. She's clearly meant to be mine. Like, how do I get her to fall in love with me? It's an amazing premise. It is a delight to read. It's really fun. It moves so quickly. And it's just, like, there's just, I don't know what else to say. Like, it's so charming and enjoyable. And I really appreciate the character dynamics, I love the way that Chastity's family all interact with each other. It's got that, like, it's a little bit complicated, but we all love each other anyway feel to it, which I love. And Luke is so funny. <laughs> he's so funny. Mm-hmm. She's, like, stabbing him, and he's like, let's talk about this. Like, it's just amazing. So, again, that's Mating the Huntress by Talia Hibbert. That sounds like so much fun. It really like, is. All of the things from the baking to yes. like the awkwardness. I I just wanna pick that up right now and read it. I feel like I feel like Talia Hibbert's really good at picking up on everybody's favorite tropes and then like yeah. putting them all together and you're like, Oh yes, this is in fact exactly what I wanted. Thank you. <laughs> That's lovely. I appreciate that in a writer. Mm. Because I'm greedy about my tropes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> for my my uh, science fiction pick is God's Monsters and the Lucky Peach. And this is by Kelly Robson. This is a novella. Uh, it's a little more than 230 pages. So I, depending on like how fast you read, I'd, I'd still consider this a one sitting read for the weekend. It's also got a lot going on and has that feeling of wanting to figure out what's going to happen, how all of the storylines are going to collide. So I think for me, uh, personally, I always find that that setup makes me want to get to the end. Um, And it's also a great book for relaxing into an afternoon on the weekend. And if you like climate fiction or, you know, climate punk, uh, (laughs) (laughs) This is also a great one. 
and the story it bounces around some in regard in regards to time, which is kind of unsurprising because this is a time travel story, and it follows this research team. And the protagonist is Min, who's what they call a plague baby. And Min came up from the underground where humanity fled because of a climate disaster. And now Min, who has tentacles in place of legs, is one of the people working on rebuilding the planet, rebuilding the Earth. And she has this ragtag crew who are all jumping over these bureaucratic and political hurdles and red tape to win this project to survey the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers of 2000 BC because they have this access to time-traveling technology, which was invented by this sort of nebulous or mysterious organization. And to give you some perspective, the story is taking place in the year 2267. So this is far out into the future. And so you're following Min and crew, which includes a biologist and administrative assistant and also a member of TURN, which is this group that discovered time travel. And as they try to win the project and travel through time in this vessel, the Lucky Peach. So we're getting glimpses of this really not-so-great future of their mission, and you get the sense that things are not going to work out so hot as we jump around in time. And then we also get another story, another thread, that's seemingly separate from theirs, which follows this ancient Mesopotamian king. And this is this is one of those stories, again, where you know or you at least hope that there's going to be this convergence moment where everything comes together and you get to see the full picture of this story. And if you like, this has that trope of, you know, a crew of very different personalities. Min is great. I loved her personality in this story. She's just very straightforward and down to business. And you have a younger person on board, this administrative assistant. All of this, like, really reminds me, like, if you've worked in, like, a corporate environment Mm. at all, it really reminded me of that in some ways, which was not something I expected to encounter in a story about time travel and being on, like, a time-traveling vessel and going to ancient Mesopotamia and things. I did not expect for mentions of RFPs, which (laughs) was very triggering to somebody like me who was in legal for way too long. It was horrible. (laughs) But, like, you have, like, mentions of, like, RFPs and administrative assistants and things like that and paperwork while you are also on this weird time-traveling mission. I just thought it was really clever and different and interesting. And I mean, like most climate fiction I've read, this paints a pretty bleak picture of a possible future for humankind and kind of might get you feeling anxious because we all know a lot about what's happening to our climate and to the planet. But, you know, it's also really a really imaginative story with some unexpected elements and twists and turns and moments of adventure. So even with that that sort of bleakness you get from thinking about what is going to become of us and this planet, there are some fun elements as well. And I think also if you are 
an ancient history or ecology nerd, this is a great one. And if, uh, like me, you are always on the lookout for science fiction and fantasy featuring an older protagonist, this is also great because Min is in her 80s. She's the main character. And so you're following a woman in her 80s, which I thought was really fantastic. Um, and, you know, I have a soft spot for fraught team missions in science fiction, and this got me right in the gubbins. So, again, that was God's Monsters and the Lucky Peach by Kelly Robson. Well, I am definitely going to need to read that now. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like all the things <laughs> I love. Also, it reminds me of, I think I talked about Hench by Natalie Walshots. Uh, oh, yeah. Which is like supervillain spreadsheeting, basically. Ugh. And I do love seeing those those unexpected pairings. So that's that sounds like a good comp for, for this one. Yeah, I, I, it does sound like it. I remember you talking about that one, and I think so. All right. Well, my sci-fi pick is The Galaxy and the Ground Within by Becky Chambers. It is the fourth book in the Wayfair series that we all love so much. And I am here to tell you that this book is like a warm hug. And this is my cheat, though. I all I wanted. And when I tell you all I wanted, I mean, all I wanted was to just sit down and read this book once I started it. But it was during a weekend where I had I had grown up like adult things to do that I could not. I just I just couldn't. It just was not possible for me to just ditch those things and sit and read, which is like the bummeriest bummer of being a grown up is not boo, being able I know, to grown boo. up things. Stupid grown up <laughs> things. But I every literally every spare half hour I had during that very busy weekend, I picked this up. And then when I finally was done with all of my grown up things, I just was like, all right, nobody talk to me. I'm going in. <laughs> and it was so good because it's just I don't even know, like, what what do we say about Becky Chambers? Like, everybody is a good person. There's conflict, but it's resolved in, like, emotionally healthy and validating ways. And it made me feel, like, weirdly better about certain things. So the premise of this one is that in this, you know, sci-fi universe that Chambers has built, there's all of these wormholes, right? And they take you from one planet or planetary system to the next. And there are certain areas where you can't just, like, hop from wormhole to wormhole. There needs to be, like, traffic patterns, right? So people don't collide or whatever. And there's this planet called Gora that is basically an interstellar truck stop. Like, it has nothing going on for it. It's not habitable, except for if you're inside of, like, a habitat dome. And it doesn't have any, like attractions for tourists or anything aside from what people have built in their domes and but it is at the intersection of this like four or five way you know plant wormhole gate thing so if you want to get to one of the five systems that gora is adjacent to you have to go through gora so there's all of these different you know domes that cater to travelers and the one that we are visiting is called the five hop one stop which is so much fun to say (laughs) and the alien who runs it is like this very sweet lovely like sort of like sounds like a come some kind of cross between like a horse and a dog with like four you know legged floppy haired (laughs) type person 
who okay. is like the most like considerate host on the on on the planet. She like all she wants to do is make sure that any alien who comes through will find something that they like. And so she's always trying out new things and like baking for people using, you know, their approved ingredient lists and trying to find like new snacks that, you know, her interstellar travelers will enjoy. And she's got an adolescent a uh, kid named Tupo who is hilarious. Like such a such a 12-year-old in my head. Tupo is 12. Uh, <laughs> it's just so funny. Like on the cusp of being a teenager but still a kid. So like very kind of sulky and emo but also like very curious and excited about things. And what happens is there are three different strangers who are all going somewhere else who are supposed to just be spending the night while they wait for their turn to go through the wormhole but this like technical huge scary technical malfunction happens and they are grounded and cannot leave the habitat for an indeterminate period of time which can we just say feels very triggering yes i know like i was like yeah, oh, i know oh, quarantine but no. but the nice thing about this quarantine is no Persons were harmed during the technological malfunction. And it also acknowledges that everybody has a different response to this. And so you get to see how each of these travelers reacts to the quarantine and how they interact with each other. There's like some real weighty moments. There's also some really fun moments. Like there's an interspecies dance party picnic at one point that I was just like, this is amazing. (laughs) This is so much fun. Uh, And there is some drama. And I will say that if you're just looking for the like the least amount of conflict and there's certain things you can't handle, there is non-fatal accidental harm to a child as part of the plot. But like I said, it's it, everything turns out fine. And it is just a pleasure to spend time with these characters and to see different corners of this universe that Chambers has built for us. And I just enjoyed this return to that universe so much. It is a delight. I don't think it's possible for it to be my favorite out of the four, but it is up there because Mm -hmm. it's just really, it's really, it is, it does feel like a warm hug. And it has made me want to go back and reread all of them, which I don't have time for, but probably will try to do anyway. (laughs) So, and I will also say that if you haven't read all of the other books, maybe you've read one, maybe you've read none, these do stand alone pretty well. The characters are not repeats, although other characters are referenced. Uh, And, you know, I think the world, you end up understanding pretty well what's going on. So I think you could read this as a standalone if you've never read one of these Wayfarers books before. But obviously, I recommend reading the whole series. Each book is different and really interesting, but all have that, like, good people figuring out how to be good people in a funky sci-fi universe vibe. That's the vibe. So, again, that is The Galaxy and the Ground Within by Becky Chambers. I just got this in the mail the other day, and I was practically buzzing with excitement when I saw what I got. Yes! I can't wait to read it. Ooh, I'm excited for you. Well, that's it for our One Sitting Reads. Thank you so much for joining us. SFF Yeah is sound edited by DR Baker. Many thanks to them for making us sound great each and every episode. For more recs, you can check out bookriot.com and find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. 
Thank you so much for listening. You can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And if you have a minute, please do review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us, and we love to hear from you. You can find us online. Where can they find you, Jen? You can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at Jen IRL. That's J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And you can find me on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. And you can find me on Instagram at S Zainab Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. Talk to you later. Bye.